All right, so we've been talking about uh, this idea of when we come alive. It's a catchphrase that I actually stole from a Switchfoot song um, that I love. Uh, but when we come alive, so the last couple of weeks we've been talking about, we've basically come alive as a new church. And so uh, we've been looking at these passages where, where Jesus comes and he says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And he talks about life in all these different scenarios. And we've been kind of honing in on John uh, chapter 10, verse 10, where it says that, the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may, you may have life, uh, life to the full. Um, some people translate that as uh, abundant life. Eugene Peterson, who's one of my favorite authors, says more and better life. Life that uh, is eternal but starts now. And this is the kind of life that Jesus talks about. So what does it mean for a new church community to come alive in Christ? What would that look like uh, for us, uh, for, for Jesus to, to, to tap into this life, the life of heaven, what does that look like that for us individually, and what does that look like for us corporately? So that's kind of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And last week we talked about the parable of the sower and how uh, there's uh, the, the worry of this life and the deceit of wealth are two things that kind of choke life out of us. So we, in our culture, walk around, um, we're very anxious and stressed, and we carry kind of this burden of trying to hold it all together, and it's something that kind of chokes the life out and so we talked about what does it look like for, for Christ to release us of those things so that we can live life to the full. And this week I want to talk about another passage where Jesus talks about life. And it's found in John chapter 12. So if you want to turn to John chapter 12, Jesus is talking and he's kind of heading towards his death. Um, but, he, but he has these words. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So this is how he opens up this, this uh, teaching. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So you think, like, whatever he's going to say next is going to be pretty important. And he says this, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Interesting words. So he he uses, once again, uh, a metaphor from the agrarian culture that they live in. He talks about this seed that has to fall and die. And so when Jesus talks about life, when Jesus talks about life here, uh, he talks about a certain kind of death or dormancy that precludes that life. And so there's this big picture of, of what, what he's doing where Jesus uh, lives and then he's crucified and he dies and then he's resurrected and he goes into the grave and then he conquers death. And there's there's a truth that when we become like Christ, that we have the same kind of trajectory for our lives, that someday in Christ, we will conquer death and rise again. And then there's an, another, I think, metaphor for us that to get to that point, to become a follower of Jesus, to be transformed into his likeness, there's a different kind of death and dormancy that we, we face with our current makeup. We put to death certain things in our life that actually would hinder us from this eternal life that Jesus offers us. So what does this mean when Jesus says a kernel of wheat must fall to the ground and die? What does this mean for us? I say that, that when Jesus is talking about life, Jesus offers us life that is full and abundant. But that life is not necessarily easy. So whenever we talk about this life that Jesus has to offer us, it's always a life full of, of contentment. And this is the life that, that for us isn't going to end in destruction. This isn't going to be something that completely wears us out. There is a full abundant life that Jesus offers, but it doesn't mean that that life is going to be 
easy. And so a lot of people, once they start following Jesus, they think, you know, just all of my dreams are now going to come true. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. In fact, sometimes the life Jesus offers might even be more difficult than any other way of living here on earth. Yet, it's also the way of a full and abundant life. Life in Christ, full and abundant, but not easy. And so I think um, for, for me in my life with the journey that, that I've been on with my family and what we've kind of experienced over, um, yeah, just really the, the whole spectrum of what we've gone through, what I've found is that be, even being a pastor, life in Jesus is full, but it's not easy. It's abundant, but it's challenging. And I think that, that there's a truth to when we go through our challenges, when we go through the times that are, are really dark, Something good is happening. God is doing something which makes life more full and more abundant. So there's three passages I want to look at. Uh, the first is in James. Well, first I would say this. We can go back. Life in Christ is full of joy because we are developing as unfinished people. So life of Christ is full of joy because we are developing. And what that means is this. In James chapter 1, uh, there's this passage where uh, James says this. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because, you know, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you've grown up in the church, this is probably a passage that you've heard over and over again. Maybe this is something that you've heard for the first time. But, but just think about the words of this, this passage, what he's talking about. Consider it pure joy. If we go back, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What a strange way to frame the challenges that we face, to consider it joy when we go through trials. Because he says something is developing here. There is a, a, a perseverance that comes into our life, and then perseverance must finish this work so that we become mature and complete. So this next slide talks about this idea that we consider it pure joy because we are developing. What we're going through right now is developing us into something else. And when we talk about this life in Christ, we talk about discipleship, we want to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, and we're heading in that direction. But in order for that to happen, there's certain things in our life that uh, are maturing us, are preparing us for that transformation, to become more like Christ, where we find abundant life. I have a, a favorite author named Richard Rohr. He's actually a Franciscan monk, which is kind of an odd thing for for someone like me to read, but his name is Richard Rohr, and in his book, Everything Belongs, he talks about this idea of this thing called liminal space. Has anyone ever heard of liminal space or liminality? Uh, he talks about, like, with a lot of historic cultures, young men would go through this, uh, this, this time of initiation where they would go from, like, childhood being a boy to being a man. And he says that this was this liminal space that they would enter where they would leave behind their childhood ways and become a man. So like a Native Americans would go on these like spiritual journeys where they would go out into the woods and they would be all by themselves and they would go on this journey where they were traveling and they would have this, basically they were out there until they would have this kind of like outer body experience where they would tap into an encounter, the spiritual realm. And uh, for other Native American cultures, they would go into these like sweat lodges, right? And, and it was this idea that you go into this liminal space where you leave like your childhood behind and you come back as a man. And, and Richard Rohr says, like, our culture, we don't really have any kind of like liminal space growing up. 
Like there's certain things that we do maybe, maybe uh, with school, um, but there's never this like, like transformation from, from being a child into becoming an adult. Um, we, we try to have birthday parties and those kind of things, but like to go through some sort of a challenge that we overcome and it produces into us into something more mature. So he talks about this liminal space. The word limin means threshold, and it's central to initiation rites. It's a good metaphor for preparation for transformation. And I believe that this happens in our life when we follow Jesus. We do go through these moments that it's almost like this liminal space where, where God is producing something in us. He's preparing us to be the kind of person that he's designed us to be, and we go through some sort of experience. And I think that, that, that all of us face, face that, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about how God uh, doesn't necessarily cause these things to happen, but he uses these things to happen to draw us into himself, to make us more mature and complete. And so some of you might be in these moments or have experienced these moments recently where you go through this liminal space, this threshold, this testing. And, uh, and, and, and James says to consider it pure joy when we go through those trials. Consider it joy because something is happening inside of us that's making us more mature and complete. Um, another one of my favorite authors is this guy named Maurice Burquist. And no one here other than Chuck Akers has probably ever heard of Maurice Burquist. He's a, a guy that actually mentored my dad, and he wrote a bunch of books that uh, were published that no one ever probably read before. Um, but one of the strange things about this older gentleman was that he was really into to plants, to horticulture, to growing, uh, growing flowers. And he had a, a really uh, in-depth understanding about, he had a real green thumb of how how to grow foliage and, and plants and all sorts of different things. So uh, in a lot of his, his sermons, this was the old pastor, he would talk about the idea of, of growing his garden. And he would draw huge comparisons between like the spiritual life that we live in with what was happening in his garden. It freaked a lot of people out. A lot of people loved it. Um, but one of the things that I found was when he talks about this idea of, of flowers and having like a greenhouse, um, there are certain kind of flowers like mums uh, that, that he would basically black out the greenhouse early in the evening, like at 5 o'clock, so that they could stay in darkness longer than just the natural dark. And with mums, what he would say is that uh, they need long periods of darkness in order for them to actually mature, so that when the light came, they would bloom even more beautifully and abundantly. So he talks about this idea that these, uh, these flowers would would he would purposely put them in the dark for extended periods of time uh, so that they would mature in a way that was healthy. And they could still mature um, in, in the normal darkness, but you could actually manipulate the flower to become even more abundant in its, in its growth and its, in its blooming by keeping it in the dark longer. And he says the interesting thing in our spiritual life, especially uh, we, we try to avoid the darkness, right? Going through dark moments where we can't see anything. We, we try to stay in the light where everything is revealed and easy and open and we can see out what is ahead of us. Uh, but he said, much like these flowers, oftentimes our spiritual life, uh, we do the most maturing in that darkness. We do the most soul-searching and finding out at our core who we really are when we go through moments of darkness and challenges where we can't see what's going on around us. So he talks about this idea of embracing the darkness, because that is where God is in the darkness. And oftentimes we use metaphors that God is in the light. But he, and he would say in his life, the time where he became the most mature in those moments of darkness where you're looking around 
and it feels like you don't understand what's going on in the world. It feels dark. It feels it, you can't see anything. Those are the times where uh, God grew him the most in his life. And much like the flowers, that's when the maturing happens. And so this idea of liminal space, this idea of darkness, is what James is talking about when he says, consider it pure joy when you go through trials. Because this life that Jesus has to offer you is so abundant and full, but it's not easy. And all of the stuff that's happening to you right now is actually drawing out something better inside of you. So we need the darkness. A couple of reasons why we need the darkness, just from, you know, lessons from flowers. Uh, But darkness helps us mature as much as light helps us grow. Think about that. The darkness would help these flowers mature just as much as the light helps them to grow. The more darkness for them, a healthy amount of it actually produces something better out of the flowers. The same way for our lives when we go through the darkness, when we don't understand where God is. Those are times, if we're in tune with it, that we can actually grow. And there, there are secrets in the darkness that are never learned in the light, especially secrets when we, we take, um, we understand how we react and our own character, our own integrity. We learn a lot about ourselves when we go through these dark moments. We learn a lot about other people watching them go through dark moments, right? And there's certain things that we can only learn about ourselves in the fog, in the midst of the darkness that we can't learn just in the light in the light. So there's secrets to be learned. So um, I know for me, when I go through these moments where it's just dark, I journal a lot. And, uh, and, I, and I write down what I'm going through and how I feel. And that's a good practice to have, especially when we go through difficult times, when we go through these trials, is to actually get out our emotions, to get out what we're feeling, to understand, to embrace it. Um, that's what it means to be human, is to, to, to feel... Um, yeah, to feel the pain of that, to feel um, the unknown of the darkness. And there's stuff that we learn about that, about us and about God and about life that we'll never learn if life is just easy and hunky-dory. And that produces something in us. And then if we don't have the darkness, we will never bloom in the light. If, if these flowers never had time to actually mature in the darkness, if it was just grow, 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 they would never, never blossom the way that they were meant to blossom. And the same thing is for us. And so we oftentimes... If something bad happens to us, what happens is we tend to blame God for it, or um, it makes us bitter, it makes us become discontent with the world around us. But what if we embraced it knowing that there's actually something more going on here, there's a bigger story at play, and there's something in here developing in me, and I need to be in tune with what's going on. So the darkness is actually a good thing. The darkness for us, according to James, is something that we find joy in because we know that we're developing, we're an unfinished person that's still developing. Uh, The second thing that I think Jesus means is life in Christ is full of faith. We don't lose heart because we are achieving future glory. I love this phrase, achieving future glory. And it comes out of this passage, if we go to the next slide, in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18. It says, therefore we do not lose heart. Outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. This is a letter uh, from the Apostle Paul to uh, a church in Corinth. If you know anything about Corinth, it's like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. I mean, this is a tough place to be a follower of Jesus. And and the the people that are trying to be a follower of Jesus are are in this uh, basically, um, yeah, just like crash course with culture. um, Where where people there, you got this whole cult of Aphrodite going on and all sorts of 
strange things. Actually, I think Aphrodite wasn't in Corinth. But you have all sorts of these weird, um, just these weird things going on that are adding to the conversation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the people that are there are just worn out. Um, and, and, and I love this phrase, therefore, we do not let us heart. Outwardly, we might be wasting away, yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. For light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Think about that phrase right there. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. What a great promise that is. What a great statement that is. That we're achieving eternal glory that far outweighs what we're going through right now. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's this idea of what we're going through right now. If you go to the next slide, uh, the wasting away actually leads us to being renewed inwardly. And this is actually a principle of what we call the gospel. Jesus, when he came down and lived and walked on this earth and eventually broke himself open and poured himself out, there was a wasting away that happened there. But yet, at the same time, from that death, from that suffering, healing and life and uh, restoration comes from that act of wasting away. And in the same way, and earlier in this passage, Paul says that we carry around the death of Jesus in our bodies, that the resurrection may be made alive. And so it's okay when we go through things, when we're suffering, because Outwardly, we might be wasting away, yet inwardly, we're being renewed. There's this inner strength that's being placed inside of us. There's something that is blooming inside of us that happens even in the midst of the wasting away. So we don't lose heart because there's something that is being achieved, future glory. We don't lose heart because uh, we know how the story ends, and we're looking towards uh, what's happening on this bigger picture where God is basically restoring and redeeming and reconciling the world to himself. So there's this idea of wasting away yet inwardly being renewed. There's this idea of us achieving eternal glory that's coming. Um, And so the life in Christ is full of faith because of that, because we know this is kind of where we are heading. If we go to the next slide, I love this quote from um, my dad's mentor, Maurice Berquist. He says this, If our work brings us blisters instead of blessings, we can know that the blisters will heal and calluses will form, and we will be able to do without pain the things that we wanted to do in the first place. Um, and so I think this, this applies to so many different areas of life, whether it's your occupation, your work, or you're striving towards something, trying to start a company, try to start, uh, I don't know what it is, and it's like you're getting so beat up, and it's like, I've done that work before, and I have all of these blisters. Well, outwardly you might be wasting away, but inwardly you might be being renewed. Something better might be being pulled out of you as you strive through this life. And I love this idea that when we go through the pain, when we go through the blisters, calluses form, which allow us to do what we originally wanted to do without pain. That's what calluses do for for our hands. I don't really have calluses because most of my work is done writing and typing. And so then I'll go and try to do yard work and I get all these blisters. Um, But but people who, who work with their hands throughout the day, they have hands that can handle that work because they've been trained, they've gone through the pain of developing those blisters, now they have calluses. And it's the same way with our spiritual life, I believe. We go through things that break us down, that that outwardly we waste away, and yet what gets replaced there, whatever those scars are, make us stronger as we move forward. I just, I love that quote. And then thirdly, if we go to the next slide, life in Christ is full of hope because we are more than conquerors. 
So life in Christ is full of joy. Life in Christ is full of faith. And life in Christ is full of hope because we're more than conquerors. And this comes from uh, the famous passage in Romans chapter 8. I don't know if you can read this because I tried to fit it on one screen. These are the kind of things that drives Marcy nuts, by the way, when I put too much on one screen. But let me just read these words. Just take this in. It says, uh, we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. We sang about that in that first song today. We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What a rich passage full of this idea that we have hope because we are more than conquerors. We have hope because of what God has done for us, what Jesus did on the cross when he suffered, when he was broken, when he absorbed the sin of the world, took it to the grave, and then conquered it all. Because of that, we have this life in Christ full of hope that we're heading towards something. And in all of these things in life, uh, the trouble, the hardship, the persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Um, and, and you think of our culture, you know, we don't really necessarily deal with the famine. We have great famine in California right now, and we're all drinking water fine, right? I mean, those aren't necessarily things that, that crush us, but in our life, we have, we have things like uh, real estate bubbles crashing and unbelievable financial anxiety and relational strife and broken relationships. There's these different things in our life um, that try to separate us from each other and from Christ. Like John 10.10 says, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Those are all things that we deal with every single day, things that challenge us, things that send us into the darkness. But nothing can separate us from the love of God. And in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Um, I, I love... The Apostle Paul's constantly hijacking language from the Romans. Uh, he's taking this empirical language and stealing it for, for Christianity um, as it grows. And this idea of the conquerors, um, this is who the Romans are. They're the conquerors. They're the ones running the world. They're the ones who have basically taken control of everything because of their might and their power. And we find Paul is constantly subverting this oppressive Roman empire. And here he uses this language. The conquerors who run everything were more than conquerors in Christ. That would have been a huge political statement. Um, we are more than conquerors. And so life in Christ is full of faith, full of joy, and full of hope because of that promise that we are more than conquerors. As Paul would talk about uh, the, basically how the Romans ruled the world and oppressed everybody, and it was this really, I mean, talk about dark... Um, 
uh, for so many of the Christians that were murdered by this Roman Empire. He starts talking about citizenship. He talks about conquerors, and he talks about being citizens. And to be a Roman citizen um, in this time period was that you had all sorts of these benefits. Paul himself is a Roman citizen. Um, but he starts talking about using this language of the citizens of heaven. And, and citizenship means a lot here in our country. It means a lot back then. All of these little uh, colonies uh, that Rome would conquer a place and set up a colony, and then their conquerors, their Roman veterans would go and basically develop that area. And so um, you have these places like, like Corinth and Thessalonica, which become these, these Roman colonies. And the idea about when you're a citizen of Rome is that you would take the culture of Rome and you would bring it to these new areas that have been conquered. And so you would live as a citizen of Rome in Greece or a citizen of Rome in, in, in Asia Minor. In the life of Rome, uh, you would promote that for the world. And so uh, Roman uh, philosophy and education and, and everything, their, their religions, their, everything was spread through these colonies, through their conquerors. And Paul takes this language and he says, we're more than conquerors. And in fact, we're citizens of heaven. And that means to be a part of God's family, to be a part of a church. We take basically the culture of heaven and we live it out here on earth. In the same way that the Romans did, understanding their culture, that they would live it out. He says, that's not what the church is doing. We're citizens of heaven. And so we're, we're actually a colony of heaven here on earth. And so we, we take the life of heaven and we live it here and now. Um, and that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to tap into this life. The life uh, of heaven is eternal, uh, but we start living it now, today. Uh, we start living it in our communities, this life that is eternal. Um, and so I think when Jesus talks about life, when he talks about a certain kind of death or dormancy that precludes the life that he has to offer, we understand that this life that Jesus offers us is, is abundant, but it's not easy. And uh, I don't know kind of what you're going through today. Life might be difficult. Um, my, life might be, uh, you might feel like you're in darkness. Um, you might feel like um, you're going through all sorts of trials. Maybe you feel like it's like every single thing that you, you do or you touch goes wrong. And, um, and you're, you're carrying the weight of that. You're carrying the heaviness of that. And my hope today is that you know that in the midst of all of that, God is doing something in you. Um, he's developing something in you to become more like him. And so uh, my hope is that in Christ today, you would find joy. The life that he has to offer is full of joy. Uh, that you would, you would have faith, strong faith that's steadfast and inner strength because of what God's doing. And that you would have hope. That you would have hope in whatever your situation is. That you know that God is at work. God is moving. So today as we close, uh, we're going to close with communion. And uh, communion represents really this principle that a seed must fall to the ground and die so that it can produce more seeds. That's what Christ did on the cross as he died, goes into the grave, and then he conquers death and he's resurrected. In the same way, he invites us into this story. So maybe there's certain things in your life that are being put to death right now and you need to uh, have strength to go through it. Maybe there's certain things in your life that you need to put to death that you need strength for. Um, but as we take communion and close with um, one last song, let's just think, think about that, uh, that concept of whatever we're going through right now, however difficult it is, God is calling out something more out of all of us, and it's good.
So I'm going to pray and feel free to take communion on your own. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us. Lord, we thank you for this life that you offer us, more and better life, life that starts now but goes on uh, into eternity. And um, Lord, I just pray that you would be with us as we, uh, as we travel through this life. And we know that it, it's full of challenges, it's full of uh, people hurting us, it's full of things not going our way. Uh, there's this liminal space that we go through, there's uh, darkness, and uh, those are enough things to, to crush us, Lord. And um, we, uh, we hold on to you this morning, and um, just ask that you would work all things for the good, all the things that we carry, all the things that are um, forcing us down. You would just, uh, you would work for the good, Lord. So anyone today that is, uh, is carrying the weight of the world, Lord, we just ask that they would have an encounter with you and that burden would be lifted, that they would experience your peace, uh, your peace that passes understanding, that they would know that something better is coming, that you're developing them into something um, that's going to be stronger and, uh, and that you're with them in the darkness. Lord, we, we do these things in remembrance of you, of what uh, you went through on the cross. And uh, we're so excited to enter into this new life that starts now, that carries on to eternity. So Lord, as we come alive as individuals and as a church, we just ask your blessing on us today. In your son's name we pray, amen.